Again, it's so great to see all of you here this morning um, on Easter morning, on Resurrection Sunday morning. This morning, if you brought your Bibles, or uh, there are Bibles in the pews as well, if you turn with me to the book of Mark that uh, Larry read so well for us just a few minutes ago, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Here at the Bible Church of Lakeshore for the past several weeks, we've been studying our way through the book of Mark. And now this morning, on resurrection morning, we come to the account, the historical account from the book of Mark in chapter 16 of Christ's resurrection. At my church um, back home in Minnesota, where I'm originally from, uh, for those of you who don't know that, uh, my church uh, that I'd been a member of for years and my parents are still a member of, they wrote it into their constitution that on Sunday morning, each Easter Sunday, the pastor's message shall not exceed 15 minutes. <laughs> so... Uh, We'll see. We'll see. I don't. I don't know that I'll make that, but I'll try and definitely end on time this morning. <laughs> it's not in our constitution, but uh, if I keep going the way I have been the last few weeks, it might be soon. Right. All right. But it is so good to see you this morning. This morning is so important because the resurrection is that vital element of the gospel. It's described for us as being so important in First Corinthians 15 that without the resurrection. Our faith, really, it, it doesn't hold up without the resurrection. The resurrection is the key. Uh, traditionally, in Christianity, Easter was the biggest holiday. When Jamestown was founded, when our country uh, first began to be colonized, uh, Easter was the biggest holiday, not Christmas, but Christmas is certainly important as well. But it's, Christmas is important because that's when we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, His coming to earth, becoming a man. But he came so that one day he could be offered as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. We had that message here on Good Friday, for those of you who are here Good Friday, where I tackled the longest chapter in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14, with his trials and sufferings, and then also Matthew, Mark 15. It was a long evening. Uh, this morning we have a shorter chapter, uh, shorter uh, section of scripture in Mark 16, verses 1 through 14. And in this passage, we find three responses to Christ's resurrection from the dead. Three different responses that should remind us how we should respond to Christ's resurrection. We should boldly believe and proclaim the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and he is risen, proving that one day we can also rise to live forever with him. Let's open in prayer for the message and then we'll begin looking at the first response in Mark chapter 16 to Christ's resurrection. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for each person who is here with us this morning. We pray that you bless each one, pray that you bless this message from your word and the reading of your word and that it would be clear that it would be meaningful, that it would inspire us, that it would encourage us, and that anyone here does not know you personally, 
as their Savior, as the risen Lord who died in our place, so that one day we will also rise with you if we put our trust in Jesus Christ and for what he has done for us and how that is so powerfully proven for us by his resurrection. We thank you for this. We pray that as we look at these different responses to the gospel and to the resurrection specifically this morning in Mark chapter 16, that we would see for ourselves where we are in our lives, that we be inspired to grow and to come to a greater faith and greater walk with you, O Lord, we pray. For your honor and glory, I pray you work through this message now in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first response to Jesus' resurrection was fear. The first response that we find in Mark 16 is fear. Now you remember, we may have, you may remember from Friday night, if you were with us or if, you've, uh, if you're familiar with the Easter story, with the Good Friday, the Passion of the Christ, you may remember that the disciples experienced a lot of fear at Christ's arrest. They forsook him. They abandoned him. Peter denied him three times. Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus was put on an illegal trial. It was illegal for anyone to be tried after dark by Jewish law, and yet he was tried in the middle of the night secretly by the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the Jews, and they found him guilty. After many false accusations, they found him guilty of what? Guilty of claiming to be the Messiah and the Son of God. When they asked him that, he had to respond, yes, I am, and you will see me coming. You will, you will see me coming and at the right hand of God. And they accused him of blasphemy, claiming to be God, and said that he must die. But of course, they couldn't take that as the accusation to the government. They were not legally supposed to kill, to put someone to death, and they cared very much about being, trying to be legal uh, up front. Behind the scenes, of course, it was very illegal to have that whole trial at night. But they wanted to have the appearance of legality because of how popular Jesus was. And so they took him to the governor, Roman governor Pilate, who had the authority to execute prisoners and accused Jesus, of course, of crime, the crime of claiming to be a king and of, that they only had one king in Caesar. Of course, the, the Jews themselves were not that loyal to Caesar, but to get rid of Jesus because of their envy for the great um, power, the great authority that he had, they wanted him done away with and they rejected him as their Messiah. They understood he was claiming to be their Messiah and they refused to believe that. The disciples were afraid. They scattered when Jesus was arrested. Peter denied Christ three times. Judas had uh, betrayed him to the religious leaders who then turned him over to Pilate and the Romans and had him condemned to be crucified. And then Jesus was crucified. And there was women there at the cross bearing witness to Christ's death on the cross. And they wept. And they were very loyal to Jesus. And the Jewish tradition is the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, no work can be done. So Jesus 
being crucified, I believe, and I went through on Good Friday night, I won't go through all those passages, but you can go through the book of Mark and you can find Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, two days later, it says clearly in Mark chapter uh, 14, at the beginning of Mark chapter 14, two days later after Tuesday, that would be Thursday, they go and eat the Passover meal. You can go to uh, Usher's chronology and uh, find when the Passover was celebrated from the year A.D. 22 to year A.D. 37 and pinpoint it had to be A.D. 33. It had to be on Friday. That was the Passover day that year. Its Passover meal is eaten the night before. That would be Thursday night, which is according to Jewish custom, the next day begins the night before at sunset. And so he is put on trial Thursday night. He is crucified on Friday. And as other historians uh, also bear testimony to secular historians of the time and the time after Jesus. There was a great, what they called an eclipse at noon, when at the same hour that Mark records in chapter 15, Jesus was hanging on the cross and the sun was darkened and the earth shook and Jesus died at 3 o'clock that afternoon. He had to be put in the grave by 6 o'clock p.m. that night to be in the grave before sunset because that sunset the Sabbath began the next day begins the next day was the Sabbath day the seventh day of the week so being in the grave before sunset that counted as the 24-hour period of Thursday night and Friday one day and one night and then you have Saturday um, Friday night and Saturday is the second day and a night and Saturday night and Sunday as the third day and a night, even though he's not even in the ground per se at all during the day on Sunday or during the night on Thursday. It's all seen as one 24-hour day to the Jews. Anytime you're put into the grave during those 24 hours still counts as a day and a night period. So he's in the, the grave three days and three nights. The women who come in Mark chapter 16 to the grave to see Jesus uh, they're coming to bring spices for his body, as uh, Larry read a few moments ago. They're coming to bring spices because they did not have time to do so the evening that he was buried. He was buried with much haste. Nicodemus had already provided uh, many pounds of myrrh fit for a king when Jesus was hastily buried in a rich man, Joseph Arimathea, a secret disciple, a member of this Jewish Sanhedrin, the religious ruling body of the Jews. He was himself a believer, it seems, and he asks for the body from Pilate and very quickly buries Jesus before sunset on Friday afternoon after Jesus had died about three o'clock, had to be put in a tomb before six. So these women that were there at the crucifixion that are mentioned also in Mark 16 that come to the tomb on Sunday morning, because they had to wait till after the Sabbath was over. In fact, they are coming perhaps even while it is still dark, very early. We see that in, especially in, John chap in the, the book of John chapter 20, where Ma Mary Magdalene, it is said, comes while it is still dark to the tomb and finds it empty. And they're coming as soon as they come after the Jewish Sabbath is over. Then very early in the morning, they are so devoted to Jesus. But they are fearful. First of all, the ladies are fearful that they will not be able to actually bring their spices to Jesus' body because a great stone, they know, has been rolled in front of the grave. And this stone is not only very heavy and difficult to move and would probably require more than one man to move, but it also, uh, by gravity, it was rolled downhill into place. And so this would have made it 
almost impossible for the ladies to move it. So as they're going to Jesus, they're very devoted, and, but they're afraid they will not be able to find, to actually enter the tomb and place their spices on the body of Jesus. They're doing this out of devotion. Jesus' body has already been prepared with myrrh. He's already been buried, but they did not get the chance to be there. They want to pay their respects to Jesus' Jesus's tomb. And so they come very early in the morning, but they're afraid they will not be able to see the body. That's the obstacle they know of. The second obstacle they don't even seem to know of or mention is that there was a guard set. We know that from the other, some of the other Gospels, such as Matthew 28, uh, Luke 24, and John 20. We know there was a guard set by Pilate to make sure that no one would come and steal the body. The religious leaders, they knew. The religious leaders that had Jesus put to death by Pilate knew that Jesus had said he would rise again the third day. They knew it. The disciples themselves seem to have forgotten this. We went through the last couple of weeks, for those of you who were here last Sunday and the Sunday before, how in uh, Mark, uh, in previous passages, he, Jesus told his disciples very clearly um, that he would rise again, and they should have known. We'll come back to that point again when we get to the disciples. They should have known he was going to rise again. The religious leaders knew he said he would rise again. And they had a guard set to make sure that Jesus' body would not be stolen. The women did not even know that fact or did not seem to be aware of it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16 as we see them coming with the fear of not being able to enter the tomb. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices and they, that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said unto themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? So that is their first fear. But notice that fear does not keep them from coming to Jesus. Even after he is dead, they are so loyal to Jesus that even the fear that they will not be able to move the stone and not knowing how they're going to actually come and see his body or if they will be able to, it does not keep them from coming to Jesus. And in the same way, we should not let our fears keep us from coming to Jesus. And so the women came, even though they had that fear of not being able to roll away the stone. When we come to Jesus in faith, when we seek God in faith, despite the obstacles that may be in our lives, when we come, God can and will remove those obstacles for us. And God does so for the ladies, but not just for them, but for all of us. Because God, his son was in that tomb. And his son has the power as God to take his life back again. He had told his disciples, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself and I can take it back up again. And he proves that as his resurrection, as we celebrate today on Resurrection Sunday. He rises from the dead. So notice verse 4. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. The stone was very great. That's the first thing they noticed, the stone, the obstacle 
that they are worried about has been removed. Their faith has been rewarded. They get to be the first ones, the first ones to see the empty grave were not Jesus' disciples. They're all afraid, and their fear does keep them from coming to Jesus. They're all in hiding, afraid that maybe they're next to be arrested and crucified. The religious leaders were so jealous of Jesus, of course, they would love to eliminate any potential uh, offshoot of Jesus' ministry from his disciples, and the disciples are afraid, and they are not coming to the tomb. But the women come to the tomb, and they are the first to find the empty grave on a resurrection morning. But notice, they do respond in fear, because who should they find first at the empty tomb but an angel look at verse 5 and entering into the sepulcher they saw a young man so here is how the angel is described and he is clearly mentioned as the angel in a couple of other passages that we will look focus here on mark this morning saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment and they were affrighted so here is a young man that's what an angel looks like, a young man, because angels don't age. They live for centuries and don't age. They stay young. And one day we're going to have bodies. If we have faith in Christ, then we will we'll live for eternity then. Uh, by faith in Jesus Christ, he makes that way for us to be resurrected. And we're going to have a new body one day and we'll be young. Um, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. So this is the angel, not that any, we become angels when we die, we don't, but the angel is a created being by God to give God glory and to be his messenger and also uh, work for him and uh, protect us and be a messenger to us. And he's the messenger here, giving the message to the women. And he says, do not be afraid. Angels often say that. We saw that in the Christmas story as well, that the angels had to say to the shepherds, fear not, you know, don't be afraid. And they said, so here we say, see in verse 6, And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And of course, just the fact that the tomb is empty is not yet the full proof. They will see the full proof very soon. They will see the resurrected Lord. They will see Jesus himself alive from the dead. But here is the first evidence. The tomb is empty. Jesus' tomb is empty. And their response is still fear. Look at verse 7, when the angel tells them what to do. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him as he said unto you. He reminds them, Jesus has told them before. He told them that he would rise from the dead. And Luke 24, 8 tells us that when Jesus told them, um, excuse me, when the angel told them this, they did remember Jesus' words specifically, that he told them he would rise from the dead the third day. And they remember that when the angel tells them. But they are afraid. They are afraid. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled 
and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And how often can we be today if we believe, even if we have seen the evidence in God's word and we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and he is risen from the dead, do we ever let fear stop us from sharing that truth with others? Here, the women do. They respond to the resurrection in fear. And that is not the way, of course, we should respond by being afraid afraid that to tell others that our faith is in the good news that Jesus died for our sins and that he is risen from the dead and one day we will rise as well because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ dying in our place paying the penalty for our sins on the cross and then rising again proving that he has conquered death for us but we should not be afraid to tell others that message the women here at first they are afraid but one of the women goes on and she has a different response. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And she is special because she has had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. She is very grateful for that, very loyal, very devoted to Jesus for what he has done for her personally. And she remains behind weeping, apparently by herself at this point in the garden. And John 20 gives us more details of this, how she at first sees Jesus and thinks he's the gardener and asks him where Jesus' body could be. So she still does not necessarily believe that Jesus is risen, perhaps, at that moment. But she will, and when she does, she responds by being a testimony for Jesus that he is risen. And that is the way we should all respond, by believing that Jesus is risen and being a testimony. Look at verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they had mourned and wept. So notice verse 10, Mary Magdalene's response is that she is going to be the first one the first testimony, the first one to tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. Verse 10, she went and told them that had been with him, that's Jesus' disciples, as they mourned and wept. So she brings good news to the disciples. She is rewarded for her great loyalty, for being one of the first women, one of the women who was there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And she is one of the first women there at the tomb and she is the one who remains there weeping and she's loyal and Jesus rewards her loyalty, her devotion by her, a woman, Mary Magdalene, being the first one to see the risen Lord Jesus. And then she bears testimony. She is a witness that Jesus is risen. And that is how we should respond to the resurrection this morning is believe that Jesus is risen, and bear testimony to that fact. Uh, verse 12, we see Jesus appears to some other disciples. On, that was recorded for us in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, which we will not go to this morning. But on the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus appears to two of his disciples, and at first they do not recognize him. And he talks with them and asks them why they're upset. What are they talking about? And they tell him, well, haven't you heard about Jesus who was crucified? 
And, you know, they're very distraught about it, very upset. And Jesus explains in that chapter, he says, but don't you understand that that had to happen? He's the Messiah. And the Old Testament has all these prophecies, and he goes back to those prophecies, explains them, he explains why Jesus had to suffer and die for his sins, reminds them, didn't he tell you that? And then he opens their eyes, and they recognize him that he is Jesus. And then he eats with them, proving that he is not just an apparition, not just a ghost, he is alive, a real physical person, and he eats with them, and then he leaves. And then he will appear to all eleven later. But notice in verse 12, after that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And notice when he opens their eyes and they see that he is Jesus, they believe and they bear testimony. They respond by being a testimony. Verse 13, and they went and told it unto the residue. In other words, the other disciples that were not there. And this is our third response. Perhaps the saddest response it is a temporary response, and that is the good thing here. But the disciples, the rest of the 11 disciples, remember Judas has uh, uh, betrayed Jesus and he has hung himself in remorse for that. And so he is out of the picture. But the 11 remaining disciples of Jesus' 12 disciples and some others who followed him, perhaps, they do not believe. The third response to Jesus' resurrection is disbelief. Not believing that he is risen. Not believing the message of Mary Magdalene. Not believing the message of these two disciples who met Jesus on the road and had it explained to them how and why Jesus had to die and how it was evidenced in the prophecies of the Old Testament and how Jesus had explained that to them, had tried to tell them ahead of time as we've looked at it in previous weeks in the book of Mark. And yet they had missed it. They had not understood. They had not remembered. They had not believed. And even when these disciples who do believe, Mary Magdalene and these two disciples, and they come and bear testimony, the rest of the disciples, the residue as they're called, the rest of the disciples do not believe. Notice verse 11 of chapter 16. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. So even though Jesus had told them ahead of time, they did not believe. I see that with my children all the time. You tell them something ahead of time. This is what's going to happen. And eventually, but it has to happen before they recognize it. You tell them, do not feed the cat your food or the cat will get sick and throw up. And what do they do when you're not looking? They feed them their food. The cat throws up and we say, did you feed the cat your food? And of course they say, yes, we did. And they blame each other. Uh, that's what they do. They blame each other. They said, uh, Julia did it. No, JL did it. Julia did it. Um, and they blame each other, but the cat threw up, and then they recognize, and then they remember, oh, yes, you did tell us not to feed her. Yes, you told us the cat would get sick. Um, but they, and this is what had to happen to the disciples. They had to go through this experience. They had to be told ahead of time what was going to happen, and yet they had to experience it. And at first, they didn't believe. And they should have known better. They should have known better. So Jesus rebukes them. Look at verse 14. Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, 
and upbraided them, meaning he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So they had not believed. He had to rebuke them, and oftentimes I have to rebuke my children because they didn't listen, they, or they should have known better than to do something they did, and yet they did it. Uh, yesterday, uh, when we were getting ready in the back room for the breakfast this morning, we had uh, the table set up and tablecloths and a little bit of food out, and uh, we were getting ready, and suddenly Jackie says to me, my wife says, where are the kids? Why are they so quiet? Because whenever they're quiet, <laughs> those of you who know, you're laughing right now, because you know, if they're quiet, they're up to something. And so Jackie says, what are they doing? And I said, oh, they're uh, playing under the table. I think they're just playing with the tablecloth like it's their tent, and they're under the table just playing. And, and she said, oh, no, I think they're eating something. And so I said, okay, girls, are you eating something? And I got a little mixed response. And eventually they say, yeah, we're eating candy. Oh. Eating candy? What candy? And so pretty soon we figured out this candy they were eating was gum that was at the bottom of the table. Okay. They, they, were, they were picking it off. Somebody in the school needs to be talked to. <laughs> All right. They've been putting gum on the bottom of one of those tables back there. And they were picking it off and eating it. So we had to rebuke them because they should have known better. They should have known better. Apparently they didn't. Uh, but the disciples, they should have known better. They had been told by Jesus that he was going to rise from the dead the third day. And they should have known when Mary Magdalene and the other women came with Mary Magdalene, backing up her story that the tomb was empty. And when Mary Magdalene told the disciples she had seen Jesus and that he is risen, when the other two disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus when they came and told the rest of the disciples that Jesus is risen, at first, the 11 disciples, Christ's closest companions, did not believe that Jesus was risen. And for us today, this is really the linchpin. This is the key point. We don't just believe the gospel because it's in the word of God. We believe it because Jesus rose from the dead. What does it take to believe that a person, that a man is God? Well, if he rises from the dead by his own power and he walks among us for 40 days, that's what Jesus did. And five, over 500 people bore, bore testimony. They saw him with their own eyes and saw him eat and, and talk with them. And for 40 days, until his ascension, he's going to be around talking to people, so much so that his own brothers and sisters, who apparently did not believe on him while he was on earth, and just thought of him as Jesus, their brother, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, they believed because in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see that they are there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes is sent by God to Jesus' disciples after Jesus has gone up to heaven and told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And now the Holy Spirit comes to each one of us who believes the moment we believe. But we have to believe. That is how we must respond. We have been given the evidence in God's word. Ultimately, this is where, what it comes down to. Do we believe? 
not only that Jesus died, that's pretty much an accepted historical fact, uh, one that you know, the, all historians agree. Jesus died, he was crucified. That's, that's common fact. What some people argue about is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And that's what really brings it down to, are we a believer? Are we a Christian? If you'll turn with me in closing to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. In Mark this morning now, we've looked at three responses to the resurrection of Christ. The first response was one of fear. At first, the women were afraid they would not even be able to see Jesus when they came to this grave. Then they were afraid when they saw the angel... And they were afraid to tell the disciples when the angel told them to go and tell them that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is not in the grave, he is risen. They were afraid to tell the disciples. And, and, and sure enough, the disciples don't believe them. I mean, people don't like to be thought of as crazy, to be thought of as different, to be thought of as weird. And that, and that is not the way we should respond to the gospel. It's being afraid to believe it or being afraid to tell other people if we believe it. That's the first response to the gospel to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we saw in Mark this morning. The second response is the right response, the response we should all have of believing. Even though we, like Mary Magdalene, unlike Mary Magdalene and unlike the two disciples on the road, we don't physically see Jesus. In John chapter 20 and 21, we find that uh, Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, he didn't believe until he saw Jesus. He said and he was the one disciple that when Jesus came to the 11 disciples, the first time, he was the one missing. And he refused to believe unless he could put his finger in the nail holes and in the side of Jesus that had been pierced by the spear on the cross. But when he saw Jesus, he believed. And Jesus told him, you, see, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are all those who have not seen me and yet believe. And that's all of us today who believe believe. We may not be there in the garden like Mary Magdalene or on the road with Jesus, but we have the testimony of those who were recorded for us here in Mark and in other Gospels. I encourage you, if you have a Bible or if you've been given a Bible, to start with reading the book of John. The Gospel of John is a very simple Gospel, good place to start reading the Gospel message. And also the book of Romans, another good place to start. But believe the Gospel. Romans 10, 9, if you are there, says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, if you have never responded to Christ's resurrection in that way, I hope when we bow our heads to pray that you will come forward and that I or uh, perhaps Tony will be able to come forward or someone else uh, and lead, help lead you, someone who would be comfortable in showing you from the Bible and praying with you and leading you to confess with your mouth as you also now believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for our sins. We all have 
fallen short of God's glory, of his holiness by sinning, by anything bad that we do, anything that breaks God's law, a lie, uh, any, any sinful thought, selfish thought, coveting, uh, stealing, anything that falls short of God's holiness is sin. We've all sinned. We've all come short of God's holiness. And because of that, we're all condemned. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He provided that way on the cross because Jesus had, as God, he was fully man, fully God. As fully man, he never sinned. As fully God, he could not sin. As fully God, he had no beginning. As a man, he came to earth, became a man in Bethlehem, Christmas, and then on Easter, he rose from the dead after Good Friday having died on the cross. And on the cross, he took on him our sins. He died in our place. Just as if we break the law in this life, in this world, if we break a law, often the penalty is paying a fine. And if we do not pay that fine, we have to stay in jail because we have not paid our fine. None of us can pay our fine to God. No good thing that we can do of ourselves can pay for our sins. But Jesus paid for our fine for us. He paid for our sins on the cross with his death, with his blood, so that if we believe that, and we believe that he rose from the dead, we are saved from our sins. God will impute to us Christ's righteousness, the fact that Christ never sinned, as if we had never sinned, and that his death counts for our death. His taking our punishment on himself allows us not to face that everlasting death called hell one day, but to instead go to heaven to be with God forever when we die or when Christ returns for his church as he will someday very soon and the third response again of the was of the disciples at first was disbelief but you know an encouraging thing for whether you believe or not this morning is that how many of us the first time we heard the gospel believed how many of us the first time believed the disciples they didn't believe the first time either but when they saw jesus they did believe and many others when they heard the testimony of disciples from their preaching that's how we are here today as in this church preaching from god's word is because of the heritage passed down from generation and generation of christians and through god's word the bible bearing witness of these events that really happened that jesus really rose from the dead that he really took our sins upon him so which response are you this morning? Fear, testimony, or belief, or disbelief? Which one are you? If you believe, are you being a testimony to what you believe? Are you telling others? Or are we afraid to tell others? Or have you not yet believed? Which one are you this morning? This morning, resurrection morning, Easter morning, would be a great time for you to come forward and put your faith in Christ. Last Easter, I got, had the privilege of leading someone who came forward to Christ. I'd love to do that for you this morning or to see one of uh, the congregation members or, uh, who, would be, who would be willing to explain that from the Bible and pray with you this morning. Do that for you. Let's bow our heads for prayer in closing.